We are engaged during this hurricane season uh, in a survey of the biblical storm stories, seeking to understand from them how God is present in the midst of the storms of our lives, and also seeking to prepare ourselves um, for the storms that inevitably lie ahead. Today, we arrive at the story of a shipwreck. But of course, you're thinking to yourselves, well, I didn't hear that part of the story. Well, my chosen text for today is Acts 21 to 28. But I didn't think that reading you seven chapters of the book of Acts would probably be the best use of our time. Although, well, it's probably because you didn't want to stay an hour and a half, right? So I'm going to ask each of you, after today's um, worship service, at some point in the coming days, read chapters 21 to 28 of the book of Acts so that you get the entire story um, of today's storm. Let us pray. Holy God, I would ask that you would grant that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is one of the great storm stories of the Bible. It is the story of Paul's voyage to Rome. He's traveling with 275 companions aboard a large sailing ship. He survives the great storm and a shipwreck at sea. Now it all starts with a sermon at the temple in Jerusalem. So you know now how dangerous preaching can be, right? The entire saga, which is recorded for us in chapters 21 to 28 of the book of Acts, would make a great movie. It's a classic tale of intrigue. There are lots of well-developed characters. There's a healthy dose of good versus evil. There are several plot twists, raging storms, terror at sea, life-threatening suspense, enough to keep us on the edge of our seat. Did you know the Bible could be so exciting? We join the story actually quite late in its development, chapter 27. At this point, in an attempt to avoid execution by the Jews, Paul has exercised his right as a Roman citizen, appealing to be tried before the emperor in Rome. That's how Paul ended up under Roman guard on the ill-fated voyage chronicled in today's text. I want you to imagine for a moment a tin-masted sailing ship. It's a big boat. I want you to imagine that it's anchored, bobbing gently on the Mediterranean Sea. The water is iridescent as the sun dances across the waves. You and I, we would smile as the corners of the captain's mouth turned upward and he closed his eyes into a yet unseen breeze. And then as if on cue, the sails began to gently flap and he got all excited and he turned to the crew and we're setting sail, anchors away. There was a gentle breeze coming up from the south. They thought they had obtained just what they wanted. I think we are often a lot like that. We have in view what's on the surface within the perimeter of what we can see. We only respond to what we're feeling and what is in sight at the moment, failing to heed what lies beyond what we can see and feel. The captain stood on the deck of that ship, self-satisfied, self-confident, self-reliant, with a sense of, I've made it. This wind, this gentle breeze from the south that we've been waiting for, oh, it's up. The winds are with us. Probably in his pagan mind, 
The gods are with us, anchors away. I wonder how often in our own lives we have stood on the proverbial deck, taken in what is around us, and in a very self-satisfied voice, begun to think that we have obtained just what we were after. This is the life that I dreamed of. This is precisely what I've always wanted. But you see, it was very late in the season for sailing. The storm warning flags were already aflight in every port along the Mediterranean Sea. Paul himself tried to warn them, but the course was set. The heading had been determined, anchors away. It is so hard for us to believe what we cannot immediately see. It's so hard for us to believe that there are storms brewing on the horizon, raging and churning out there. Because right now, life is so good. It's so pleasant. It's all going our way. It's so hard for us to believe that we could allow a friendship to take on qualities that might threaten our marriage. So hard for, to believe that we could drift from harmless web surfing into dangerous pornography. Certainly, we are not prone to lose sight of the shore line or to lose our bearings amidst the swirling temptations of this generation. Not us. Why not? Why not us? When someone warns us of the dangers ahead, when scripture warns us of the dangers ahead in our physical, financial, spiritual, emotional, or relational lives, how do we tend to respond? How do we respond when we're warned? Do we trust God? Do we trust God's messengers? Do we take heed of their warnings? Do we take the time to really evaluate our environment to see just how far into the dangerous waters we may have drifted? Or do we puff ourselves up, become self-righteous, confident in our own ability to overcome, accusing others of their own hypocrisy, and blindly continuing on our voyage into a field of icebergs? You remember the voyage of the Titanic. They were warned over and over again of the dangers ahead. They were alerted to the death trap into which they were sailing, but they were arrogant they were deluded into believing that they were impermeable, and that led them into destruction. Our arrogance does the same. So how do you respond to the warnings of others about the direction that your life is headed? How have others responded to the warnings that you have given them about the direction you see their life headed? When you see someone headed toward troubled waters, do you care enough to raise the warning flag? to signal them of the danger ahead, to try to throw up the stop sign. Unfortunately, a lot of us are really busy pointing and whispering and watching from the sidelines as the people whom we are supposed to love, members of our own family of faith, head into destruction. If you see the danger ahead in somebody else's life, it's your responsibility to be a human signpost, to be a light in the darkness, to bear witness to the life that we were intended to live, to direct others to the life abundant and away from a life of destruction. Well, despite Paul's warnings to the captain and his mates, this ship set sail. Paul, you see, was a prisoner at this point in the story. Paul is a captive. He is going to stand trial in Rome. Now, granted, he's been under house arrest for a couple of years, and so he has a very friendly relationship with the um, with the guards that are with him, but they don't listen to him either. Now, the reality is Paul has to go along. 
He sees the dangers ahead. And yet he has to go along. And the reality of our lives is sometimes we are swept up in the storms that are created by others. There are times in our lives when we are swept along with the current of our family or even our friends. Tragically, children are often the first ones swept up into crisis, not of their own making. Children are the ones who bear the brunt of the sins of the father. Scripture says even to the 10th generation. The folly that we create in our own lives has consequences not only for ourselves, but for those who are around us. In your own life, is there somebody who has been swept up in a storm of your making? Have you been swept up in the storm of another's making? Mutual forgiveness might now be in order. In today's story, initially the weather was good. Otherwise, they would have never set sail. The winds were steady, the waves were manageable, but then things turned, turned what scripture says this nor'easter rose up, tempestuous. For two solid weeks, neither the sun nor the stars shone. How do you suppose that ships in Paul's day navigated? Come on, if you're asleep, that's your only excuse for not answering the question. Stars, right? So, by 14 days into the storm, how far off course might they have been? Who knows? They've been just blown about by the storm. So even the course of their own choosing, even the destination that they had set for themselves was at this point completely out of sight. They did not know how to even get going in the right direction. 14 days, the sun nor the stars never shone. Despair was upon them. Old, crusty seafarers were sick and tired. Fatigue wore heavily. Our text includes these words, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. All hope of being saved was at last abandoned. That is Jonah in the belly of the whale. That is the dark night of the soul. That is as bad as it gets. When at last, all hope of being saved is abandoned. They finally gave up. They finally realized that there was nothing they could do to save themselves. When they began to acknowledge that their fate was no longer in their own hands, they realized they had no one else to appeal to whose name they knew. When they came to realize that indeed their lives were not their own, they realized they didn't know the name of the one to whom their lives belonged. Enter the testimony of the Apostle Paul. When all hope is abandoned, Paul stands up and in faith bears witness to the one in whom he puts his trust. Paul says, okay, now you should have listened to me before we set sail, but you didn't. And so we didn't avoid all of the damage that we have now experienced, and we're not even going to be able to avoid shipwreck, because this is actually gonna end with us having to run aground on an island. But I have good news for you. Not one life will be lost. Be of good courage. Be of good courage. You are with me, and I am with God. And God has a plan for my life that this storm is not going to interrupt. God has a plan. He intends for me to stand before the emperor in Rome and bear witness to Jesus Christ. And that calling and God's hand upon my life is greater than the storm we are experiencing. And so have good courage because you are with me and I am with God. 
everyone safe. Think about that for a moment. These are people in utter terror. They have abandoned all hope of being saved. And the one Christian among them stands up in their midst and says, don't be afraid. I know that God has a divine purpose for my life. And because you're with me and I'm with him, we're all good to go. Now, it's not going to go like you might hope. We are going to lose this ship and all of its cargo and anything that's left aboard. But not one life is going to be lost. I've actually told nervous passengers sitting next to me on airplanes that same thing. People who are white-knuckled, you've seen these people. Maybe you are these people. You know, when the plane starts, you know, right? And I've said to them, you do not need to worry. God has a plan for my life that's not yet finished. I know I'm not dying on this airplane, and you're sitting next to me, so you're good to go. Our faith in God can, has, does inspire hope in other people. Listen to that again. Our faith in God through Jesus Christ, our belief in the resurrection of Christ from the dead, our belief that he has the ability to overcome everything and makes of us more than conquerors. Overcomers, scripture says. Our faith in that God inspires hope in other people. They may never believe what we believe, but that last vestige of hope that they had is now placed in another where it belongs, a hope in God. Now, despite Paul's assurances, there are a few guys aboard who attempt to abandon ship. They missed the point that if they were with Paul, who was with God, they would be safe. So he has to reiterate that. If you choose to leave me, guess what? All bets are off. But we want to escape. We admit that. When there's a storm raging and we see a lifeboat and we see a way out, we want to get on it and we want to go. Sometimes abandoning those you're with is not the right course of action. Sometimes you have to stay with the one who created the storm or you have to stay with the one who brought the storm upon your family because the right thing to do is to overcome together, see it through to the end. The problem with seeking to escape our storms when our relationships run aground or when we lose all sense of hope is that it leaves us tragically isolated from other people. It's one thing to be adrift in life with 276 other people who are clinging to the debris and to be one solitary person out there floating along in the ocean. Those who are going to come from the outside to provide help have a lot better chance catching sight of a big group of people. If you're in trouble in your family, then your family needs help. If you're in trouble at work, it's your entire team that needs to seek help. Isolating one person out as the problem among us often, most times, does not solve the problem. You can choose to weather the storm alone, but you will find yourself isolated from the people who care the most about you. If you choose to weather the storm in community, I can promise you that the people of Christ will be there for you, to buoy you along the way. Today's story has a bittersweet end. Just as Paul pictured it, the, sh the ship does wreck. It is torn into thousands of pieces. But as Paul foresaw and foretold, not one life was lost. How did they survive? I'm glad you asked. They rode the debris to safety.
Think about that for a minute. They rode the debris to safety. When our lives are splintered, broken, shattered, there are remnants. There are pieces. There are fragments of goodness and grace. And to those, we should cling. Consider that when you are at the end of your rope, you really have two choices. You can tie a noose or you can tie a knot. You can give up, curse God and die. Or you can hold on for dear life and trust God to deliver you. Not everybody makes the same decision when they're at the end of their rope. Grace is there for everyone. That's important for us to remember today. Garth Brooks sings a song called The River. These are the words. Life is like a river, ever changing as it flows. We are just the vessels. We must follow where it goes. Trying to learn from what's behind us, never knowing what's in store. It makes each day a constant battle just to stay between the shores. There's bound to be rough waters. I know I'll take some falls. But with the good Lord as my captain, I can make it through it all. I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry. Like a bird upon the wind, these waters are my sky. I'll never reach my destination if I never try. So I will sail my vessel till the river runs dry. Ultimately, it comes down to the question, who is the captain of your vessel? You and I can stand like the captain in today's story, self-reliant, self-righteous, self-confident, hell-bent on charting our own course and making our own way. If that's true of you, I need to raise a storm warning today. There are rough waters ahead. You are headed for the rocks, and you do not know your way through them. If you'd like to reach a destination that's beyond your wildest dreams, then I'm going to invite you to turn over the helm to the captain, to the Lord, who knows the waters, the one who has weathered the storms that you are now experiencing. He can see all the way to the other side. If you trust him, he will see you all the way to safe haven. That's where Paul and his friends had set their heading. They were trying to reach fair haven. Where are you headed? Who's captaining the vessel of your life to get you there? Amen.